Yeah, we're getting back in it. Get it, dude. This is great. Back on the gridiron. Yeah, man. One of the legend. One of the best receivers ever, I would say. Best receiver, like when I was first started watching football. Yeah. And he did it for a franchise that was not very good at the time. Welcome, everybody, to the Sports Experience Podcast. Dom and Chris here, and uh, today we're getting on to the football field. A little... Uh, a little bit of action here. Yeah, we're talking Sterling Sharp, one of the greatest receivers ever. Um, the only thing that people say is his career was cut a little short. But, I mean, for me, NFL, I don't think it was. So, uh, yeah. When you get... consider the average length of careers of most NFL players, what is it, like three years? Yeah, I think it's three and a half. Yeah, it's and like three and a half. And yeah. he had a seven-season span, rookie season, till the unfortunate end of his career, by no fault of his own, where you could say in the entire NFL – there was no clear-cut number one during his prime wide receivers. Jerry Rice and him were 1A and 1B. No, exactly. In my personal opinion, from the film that I've watched, considering the quarterbacks that Sterling Sharp played with, this guy should be in the Hall of Fame. Yep. For the first, I mean, three, four years, he was with just bad quarterbacks. Yeah, and, just garbage. <laughs> and he had some unbelievable numbers. Let's just get right into Let's it. Let's get man. right into him. Uh, Sterling Sharp, born... April 6, 1965, in Chicago, Illinois, but uh, didn't stay in Chicago for very long. No, no, him and his, uh, I think he grew up with his grandparents, right? <laughs> grew up with his grandparents and his siblings, uh, one of whom is a very famous football player as well. Um, grew up in Georgia, uh, Glenville, Georgia, uh, with his grandparents and uh, one famous brother that we'll get into later, and uh, was a football star well, growing up. I saw this interview, and I, I normally won't... Uh, promote other podcasts but these uh sharp brothers have a podcast called club shay shay yeah <laughs> and i was listening to it and they were talking about growing up in georgia on a farm because it was like a tobacco farm and they weren't they were poor they I were mean, dirt there's poor, no yeah. way other way to put it he was talking about you would you would get a thousand chickens into a barn and they would give you one dollar and they oh. were excited about that that's not like they were like oh man a dollar they're like yes a dollar and this isn't so, the 20s no you know, like where a dollar kind of stretched far this is like the 60s and 70s which but is oh. the thing is their home life was such constantly work that and this is what they said was when they got to go to football practice like i don't know about you but when i did football practice that one year i was just like <laughs> dead that one week where they where they do like the i forget what they call two it. days two days yes yeah. thank you and i remember they were the sharp boys were just like no no no, like that was like relaxation for us that like, was a reward we, yeah we weren't out in the hot sun picking tobacco in the summer like that, it, that was the cool down yeah it was the cool down but like that's the mentality that they took in was like wouldn't it be cool to actually play football and not go home and have to work yeah not to work every day and you know work your tail off for a dollar for chickens and yeah. stuff like that yeah and that's... picking tobacco that was something else that is just labor intensive it's so hard and yeah. they were talking about the summers because they couldn't go to school they didn't have school and they didn't have football and they were like that's when it was seriously brutal in well, georgia humidity. oh yep. my gosh and they were working from sun up to sundown something that serling said he goes if you're on a farm it's not like the work ends. You're not like no. in the middle of the day, you're not like, oh, man, the work's over. We're going to go get some sodas. It's like <laughs> literally we have to go to sleep to wake up to just do more stuff. Yeah, you go to sleep um, basically because you have to. Yeah. Like because there's so much stuff to do. And I mean, you talk about work ethic. What better way to instill work ethic? And like hearing these stories, you're just like that Zoolander quote. Child labor laws, they're silly and outdated. Yeah. But well, like you could 
can tell why these guys rose to become the best in their profession. Yeah, no, seriously, because both of them really had this work ethic of like, no, no, football's really not that hard. Or it's not even it's not that hard, but like we've lived a harder life while playing football. Football is a game. Yeah. So <laughs> and, just yeah. playing football isn't going to be, you know, what yeah. it was. So Exactly. And hey, what better way to not have to do that work for the rest of your life? Because, yeah. I mean, you're a kid, you're a teenager, 20s and 30s, your body can handle that. But imagine being 50, 60 years old after an extensive life of that backbreaking work and still having to do it to put food on the table. For $2 or whatever. I yeah, know, it's that's brutal. That's insane. But uh, he was a very versatile football player in high school. Like, he played everywhere. Both sides. Yeah. yeah, running back, quarterback, linebacker, and did basketball and track. Yep. And that's kind of the common theme of all of these people we talk about. It's just not one sport. I mean, even Eric Hyden in something like speed skating, bicycling, and all the other winter sports, you know, that he got to do. Well, it's a it's a underlining thing that they're athletic and then on top of that i feel like the most important thing is their work ethic because they saw what it was to put in the time to like be a receiver you know yeah and you know shannon not sterling but he was also a wide receiver up until he joined uh, the denver broncos yep but uh sterling played so well in high school he got a scholarship to university of south carolina and uh my gosh was he really good for uh kind of a middling I think they were in the ACC they might have been in the ACC or they had just moved to the SEC at that time so well he's I would say he's the best receiver they've ever had um yeah and they've had some pretty decent ones and they've too. had I some mean, decent Sydney ones Rice Troy Williamson Troy Williamson just in college but Sidney Rice had a really good, yeah. good career for them uh Alshon Jeffrey also from South oh, Carolina yeah. yeah so I mean he kind of started this uh little uh path yeah this path for these guys um was uh, set school records, then school records, obviously, because this this was the eighties. Yeah, <laughs> Ford was president, Nixon was in the White House, and FDR was running this country into the ground. And it, everything was a run heavy exactly. offense, <laughs> especially I bet in this South Carolina SEC, where, wherever they were, it yeah, was definitely we not it in the uh, Fanica and Couch episodes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, one hundred sixty nine catches for almost twenty five hundred yards and seventeen touchdowns. And in his final season, set a single season record with 11 touchdown catches. He's catching a touchdown a game yep. for the Gamecocks. And uh, this is how good he was, and this is how important he was to the program. I need to bring this up. His number two was retired while he was still playing. He was still playing. Well, they understood what a great player he was. And the thing that I think just keeps coming back is he scores so many points. It's a bit ridiculous because this is a time in football I'm talking pro and in college yep. where only Jerry Rice is putting up these touchdown catch numbers it's insane yeah but that's why he is so he is such a standout <laughs> because it's literally him and Rice and everybody else isn't even like they're putting up like half the numbers yeah I mean, the, the passing game isn't as evolved as it is. I mean, outside of really any West Coast offense type of team with ball distribution, like you look at him and he's a perfect size for a wide receiver, even now, six foot, about 210 pounds, strong, can run the route, any route on the route tree, has 
and his strength is what I really wanted to go into. Is his post catch, so he can break tackles. He can break tackles, but he can also fight off press man and make yep. space for himself. Excellent hands. He literally checks every box you'd want out of a wide receiver. No, seriously. And that's the thing that when you look at this seven-year career, he, he does not have a period where it's like, oh, he didn't really have a good year that year. It's literally like... There's no lull. <laughs> it's him and Jerry Rice on all three statistics, and it's just like they're switching back and forth like, oh, this year you got the most TDs. I'll, I'll get it next year. And this is an it, era where the NFC is loaded at wide receiver. If you yes. look at any of these Pro Bowl rosters, you're just like, dear God. <laughs> but uh, he leaves South Carolina. Um, one of his former coaches, William Tank Black, who's a famous agent actually now, he picks him to represent him. Well, I thought this was interesting draft. where I feel like – uh, Tank saw the potential and was just like, I'm going to back this guy. Hitch because... my wagon. Yeah, no, seriously. <laughs> and it, he pretty much like made a career of being an agent and like kind of like a manager with these guys coming up. And literally, Sterling was the first guy that he stopped coaching and he was just like, all right, I want to be on the other side. Show me the money, Sterling. Yes. Show me enough. the money as we go to Scientology land. Oh, wait, that's a different guy. But uh, he was so good in college. Um, I, I need to point this out. He's in the College Football Hall of Fame, yes. inducted in 2014. Um, heading into the 88 draft, um, it's kind of interesting. You would think he'd be the first player picked, but in 1987 in college football, Another wide receiver won the Heisman Trophy, and that is future Hall of Famer Tim Brown, who won it uh, at Notre Dame for his receiving and kick and punt return abilities. So both are kind of projected to be top 10 picks. And uh, with the sixth pick, the I think they're still, they were still Los Angeles Raiders, they took uh, Tim Brown. Yep. But with the seventh pick, the Green Bay Packers take Sterling Sharp, which could have been a death sentence. Um, for those of you who don't know, um, this was during a period between their last Super Bowl win in January 68 to 1988. I think Green Bay had only made the playoffs twice, and only one of those seasons was a non-strike shortened season. They basically hit the skids yeah. as a franchise, and a lot of it had to do with having no competent quarterback play after Bart Starr, with the possible exception of Lynn Dickey, in the early to mid-80s. Green Bay was Siberia. It's where you sent any player who was a malcontent or was kind of washed up. It was like basically a signal your career is over. And you would threaten players with this. Yeah. You would be like, you know, you got to get your shit together. We're going to trade you to Green Bay. And they'd be like, all right, I'm going to hit the weight room. I get it. It's <laughs> I will stop complaining. Yeah, no, seriously, because it's not – and nothing against, you know, the Wisconsin area, but it's not a great place to go – and the weather is crappy, yep. number one, which you always have to deal with. The fan base at this point is pretty apathetic. Yeah, you know, it's not like it is now. It's not like it is now or not like it was when Lombardi was exactly. there, as we talked about in the Horning episode that we have. Go listen to that one. It's a good one. But uh, And it was also, if you don't know, of all the four major professional sports, it is leaps and bounds the smallest as mm -hmm. far as population. So you're not going to get kind of those marketing opportunities unless the team is winning yeah. and they're not winning. And it's Siberia for lack of a better, you know, example. Now, let me say this. Sterling Sharp actually had a quote where he said Green Bay actually was the best yep. place that he could have gone because there wasn't any other distractions. He would show up, work, go home. And it, it's such a great, comments especially for this era of guys kind of like 
He wanted to be there. Yeah, starting to party though, and like the the early '90s where it was kind of like flashy and shit. And he literally was just like, "I just want to work. I just want to catch balls and make millions of dollars." You're paying me not to put chickens in a pen. Yeah, no, seriously. I will play anywhere for that. Mm-hmm. And he was like the first marketable star that they had in a while. Cause and his rookie year, he really balls out. 55 catches for 70, 791s and uh, a touchdown. And he plays all 16 games. Plays all 16 games because he's tough as nails. Yep. And he's doing it with very subpar quarterback play. I mean, you got guys like Blair Keel and, you know, Mike Tomzak probably showed up later to play some game. I mean, it's very bad. But 89 is when they finally shine. And I wanted to bring this up because we had talked about it in our 89 draft episode. They had the second pick in the 89 draft because they were really bad in 88 as a rookie year. Okay. They took Tony Mandarich famously. Yep. You know who the Detroit Lions picked right after Tony Mandarich with the third pick? No. Barry Sanders. No shit. Could you imagine if Barry Sanders played on a Packers team with Sterling Sharp and a quarterback we'll get into later? That they would have been the team of the nineties. They would have, I don't think the Cowboys oh, would have existed. No, they literally would have been the, the they that would have been a dynasty, without a doubt. Like to have to have Barry Sanders open up the pass game like that, it would be absolutely insane. Oh, I know. But in eighty nine they finish, I think, with a ten and six record. But okay. they miss the playoffs because they finally have some competent quarterback play. They get Don Magic Man Mikowski with that flowing Swayze mullet out there. And this is really the only season of his career, Mikowski, where he stayed healthy. Oh, yeah. And we'll get into 92 and what happens to him and how um, Sharp improves and basically helps this young quarterback improve. But in 89 is like his breakout season because he leads the NFL with 90 catches, 1,423 yards, 12 touchdowns and he's the first packer with 90 catches since don hudson was doing it with a leather helmet don hudson's had that was the record jerry rice broke for touchdown passes yeah he had 99 in like the 30s and 40s that's how good don hudson was but that's how long the gap was for green bay packer like dominant receivers well and then we see that get broken by jerry rice and then the only other person to to really break it is Sterling Sharp. And that, that was the thing yeah. that they were just so above and beyond all the other great receivers in this era, which is kind of crazy Chris to say. Chris Carter, Herman yeah, Moore. Yeah, it's I mean, crazy. Yeah, it's kind of mind-boggling when you really – Michael Irvin, I mean – Michael Irvin. That's the one that – and if you – this is the thing that if you look at his statistics where you, you measure it up against guys – he really has these numbers that beat a lot of these guys. And I think it comes back to these, like this, literally his second season, he's battling Jerry Rice for yeah. the for the top receiver spot. And it's Don Mikowski versus Joe Montana. I, was slash just, I wanted to bring that yeah. up too, where, I mean, he never had a quarterback until literally his final two seasons. That was, and even those final two is it when was that rookie, quarterback was rookie. Compl- yeah. He was the old dong slinger. Yeah, no, it's crazy because he was talking with his brother and he was just like, I would have loved to play with John Elway. Oh God. Can you imagine? It's such a thing where you're just like, yeah, he did all this, not with bad quarterbacks, but with not great quarterbacks. I think that's the, with one that was good, but kept getting hurt. And one that was barely scratching the surface by the time he retired. Yeah. And 
just crazy. But uh, 1990, doesn't really fall off. Catches 67 balls for over 1,000 yards again, 1,105. He had a career high, though, 16.5 yards per catch. And oh, yeah. That was one aspect of his game. He did everything so awesome. He could get deep for you. He could, you know, catch the short stuff. He would always go over the middle. That was completely the, fearless. Yep. And none of these defensive backs wanted to tackle him. Well, they didn't want that clash with him because he was so strong. And you could see him breaking tackles in this open field when he goes over the middle. It's, it's like you were saying, it's literally like an archetype of what you want a receiver to be. Oh, completely. Uh, 91, uh, the franchise kind of bottoms out. Lindy and head coach Lindy Infanti's fired. Sharp has a subpar year by his standards, 69 catches for 961 yards and four touchdowns. But Mikowski and the rest of the quarterbacks keep getting hurt or playing crappy. And then two things happen leading into the 92 season. With Infanti fired, they have to hire a new head coach. And they not only hire a new GM in Ron Wolf, who helped build the Oakland, Los Angeles Raiders and Tampa Bay Buccaneers into like competent franchises and good franchises. The head coach they hire is former quarterbacks coach and offensive coordinator in San Francisco, Mike Holmgren. The other thing they do that offseason is they make a trade with the Atlanta Falcons. Ron Wolf, who wanted to draft the specific quarterback in 1991 when he was with the Jets, missed out on him by one pick oh, yeah. when the Atlanta Falcons took him. He kind of kept that in the back of his mind, thinking, okay, maybe I want to acquire this guy one day. The specific quarterback, though, his first season in Atlanta, got drunk all the time, slacked off at practice, and did a lot of stupid things. He got buried on the depth chart as a third-string quarterback. Atlanta just made the playoffs with a too-legit-to-quit team. Ron Wolf offers him a first-round pick for Brett Favre. Which at the third time, string quarterback. Mm -hmm. at the time, it was looked at as a horrible trade. It was looked at yeah. as like, why are we like this rookie's not going anywhere? He's actually probably worse than when he came into the NFL. And <sighs> he missed the team picture because he was too hungover. Yeah. In Atlanta. And it's it, it, looking back on it, it literally makes the pa the Packers the team they are in the 90s. So. And But when he gets to Green Bay, he's not even the starter. He's a second stringer behind Mikowski trying to run this West Coast offense. And they've built this great staff of future NFL head coaches below Holmgren. You have John Gruden, Steve Mariucci. Yep. Andy Reid, I think, is there as like an offensive quality control coach. That's wild. I know. It's insane. And uh, Gruden was the wide receivers coach. He talks about Sterling Sharp a lot and how good he was. And then in the second game of the season, Mikowski's leg just gets mangled against the Bengals. Yep. They put Favre in, and then with this new offense, this new quarterback, this is when Sterling Sharp not only explodes but becomes a household name in the NFL. You would because like now you think of the Green Bay Packers as an awesome team with Sterling Sharp, not just Sterling. Sharp. Not just yeah, because literally before it was just him mm -hmm. showing that he was a good player. Now you're like, whoa, this is a great team. And he does something that is so ridiculous in this era. Like, we keep bringing up how many great yeah. receivers are. He has the triple crown in stats. Yeah. Which, mm -hmm. I, I, when you look at all these receivers, you're like, how did one receiver not beat him on one category? How did Chris Carter or Jerry Rice not you get know, more beat yards him in one, yeah. one of these categories? That, it's crazy. And the how did Rice improves? not get more touchdowns? Like, it's, yeah. This is what I wanted to bring up, though. They finish 9-7 and seven and miss the playoffs, but they have a winning record. Yep. And sharp across the board. He broke Art Monk's NFL single-season catch record with 108 catches. 
he had four, uh, 1,461 yards, a career high, 13 touchdowns. That's incredible. That's incredible. That's the thing that I he puts up so many points. It's it's I love it. You're in the red zone. You know where it's going. Yeah, and they can't <laughs> stop him. That's the other thing I love is when they're just like, look, we have to double down on Sharp. We're just like, maybe we should triple down on him. Like, yeah, right. It's ridiculous. <laughs> they don't. And that's the thing. At this point, Antonio Freeman's not there. I don't think Robert Brooks has played yet. Another South Carolina wide receiver. But I mean, like, they're, they don't have a second weapon where they're just like, all right, we need to cover up. They're literally like, it's going to Sharp. Yeah. It's that's it. Crazy. Yeah, it's just insane. Um, 93. Um, he breaks his own record yep, for catches. He just he's like, oh, OK, I can do that. Uh, do that better. 112. And the first player to have consecutive 100 yard receiving seasons, which that, I think is so ridiculous. Yeah, I love his. But stats. I mean, and this isn't now. This isn't. No, it's not. Antonio past Brown in. I think he had like three or four in a row in Pittsburgh mm-hmm. when Roethlisberger was in, was in his prime of over 100 catches. Like, you see 100 catches now, you're like, well, they throw it 50 times a game. I was going to say, if you're a they, dominant yeah. receiver, yeah, you're going to get, you're going to eat every week. They're still running the ball 50%, 65% of the time in this era. And there's almost none of the short little gimme passes. Yeah, there's so no like bubble screens yep. or tunnel screens. These are like five, seven step drops you beat your man or you find that spot in the zone and yeah. get hammered. Um, yeah, 112 catches, 1,274 yards, 11 touchdowns. And in one game on October 24th, 93, four touchdowns in a game. First time that happened since Don Hudson. Like, it's ridiculous. It's crazy, yeah. Um, and then uh, you want to get into the playoff game, the, the, the wild card game, how awesome that was? Yeah. Okay, so in week 18 of this year, they had two bye weeks, oddly enough, in 93. Um Probably should start doing that now with 17 games. Yeah, but, no but, shit. Um, they lose um, in the Silverdome to the Lions. That was Detroit's last. Th- this is a curse of Bobby Lane. Yep. That was their last division title, 1993. There are people who, if they were born the day after that, who have graduated high school, college, and likely completed a doctorate degree that have never seen the Lions win a division um, championship. Yep. Sterling Sharp is playing injured in this game. They have to go back to the Silver Dome for the wild card round to play Detroit because they're the last team in the playoffs. They finish 9-7, and seven, the Packers do. Towards the end of the game, Packers are down. Sharp has had a great game to this point playing hurt. And Brett Favre, this is like the moment Brett Favre was put on the map. Yep. And Sterling Sharp helped him, and we'll go into Favre's comments as – to how much he helped him throughout the early stages of his career in Green Bay. Favre rolls left around kind of just past midfield. He And you're never supposed to do this, but Favre had a cannon like for an arm. He looks over as he's scrambling out of the pocket to the opposite side of the field. And Favre's talked about this. He's like, all I see is Sterling streaking down the sidelines because the defense had over-pursued. There's yep. nobody near him. And Favre, when he throws it, Sterling Sharp has talked about this. He's like, God dang it, he overthrew me. But, like, the incredible arm strength on this pass is amazing. Sharp just keeps running after the ball down the sideline, and he's the only one there. Yeah, because everyone switched over. 
and he hits him in the back of the end zone. Sharp makes an incredible catch to keep his feet in bounds, and the Packers win the wild card game. And Sterling Sharp is the hero of all of this. Oh, yeah, for sure. But you're right. This is the the play that put Brett Favre on the map. It put the Packers on the map. It yes. put Sterling Sharp even more on the map. Well, this is what's so ridiculously sad is we get into the next season. We get into 94. And, and this he is plays tragic. six games. Is that right? No, no. He plays the entirety of 94. Oh, you're right. He does. 95 is the 95. I'm but sorry. The end of 94 is what's the tragic part. Yes. So he's even more amazing. He doesn't have 100 catches. He only has 94. Oh, you're right. Only 94. But how many touchdowns? He had 1,119 yards and 18 touchdowns. It's absolutely insane. That's over a touchdown catch a game. I mean, there was a Monday nighter, I think, in 93 where he made this ridiculous catch against Kansas City where you're just like, Jerry who? Yeah. No, seriously. That was the thing that people were saying was just like, he is, and Jerry, like you said, 1A, 1B. It's hard to, because they kept going back and forth between the best receiver. And I feel like this was when he was really hitting his prime when him and Brett were like getting into that rhythm and like all of it. You could tell. You could tell this 94 season going into 95. They had Reggie White, Edgar Bennett. They're finally building a team that's good. Yeah. And he would have had 100 catches this year because in their last game against the Falcons to uh, put Green Bay in the playoffs, which is a nice little revenge game for Favre. Sharp tries to make a block in the run game. It looks as the most pedestrian, you know, type of thing for a receiver. He goes, engages with the defensive back. It, it didn't look bad. If, if you look at it, it really doesn't. And you can tell that it was because I felt like the the player on the on the Falcons was just like, whoa. Because he literally, yeah. like, he hit him and he, like, drops. And yeah, he, you can see Sharp him, like... just drops, and it, it wasn't a high-impact collision. No. It was, like, a block you would make a hundred times yeah literally a hundred times in a practice like it's not even it was so really innocuous that he really hit it and he hit it just right that he just like absolutely messed something up in his neck yeah he had suffered a spinal injury not a paralysis one but the thing was it was in the middle of a game he probably would have got to 100 catches on the season yeah but you just thought oh he's probably out he'll be back for the wild card round next week and he never came back. Sterling Sharp never came back, and you can go to YouTube and watch this play. He just goes to the sidelines, and you're thinking, like, this dude's tough as nails. Like, what exactly happened? And then you later find out spinal injury, yeah. neck injury. So if – and this is the thing is they were saying if he does get an impact hit to this, he could be paralyzed. This is yeah. – they were saying, like, the way his this injury laid out was just, like – you should not play football ever again because now you're really in risk of paralyzing yourself. It's what um, it's almost like what happened to the oldest Manning brother. Yeah, like it's like yeah, you can live a regular life, but if you play football again, you're done. There's like, no way you're likely going to never walk again or be alive. And yep. that's the most tragic part is for in regards to his professional career is. 95, they're even better. 96, they win a Super Bowl. Yeah. 97, they're back in a Super Bowl. And up until really 2002, 2003, they're one of the NFC's best teams. And to think they might have more than just one Super Bowl in the Brett Favre era if Sterling Sharp 
plays. Absolutely. That's, into his 30s. Yeah. No, into his mid-30s. Good God. Well, to think about this team, this Packers team who went back-to-back Super Bowls, did it without their best receiver. Yeah. Like, literally, they had their best receiver had to retire. And, like, it, it's such a ridiculous... He was such a great receiver. I want to bring up this statistic. In the last six games that he played, he scored 13 touchdowns. Oh so he literally was scoring like 2.1 touchdowns a game. And the only person to ever break that record is Jerry Rice with 14 touchdowns in six games. This is the only comparison yeah. you really have is Jerry Rice. Well, and this, it's good because they played in the same era. In the so same era, can, exactly. I love it. Apples to apples, but you also look at who's throwing them the ball too. Exactly. And Brett Favre has said this. Always gracious about what Sterling Sharp meant to him in his career. He said he's Gale Sayers, like that went that short window of productivity, almost very similar to Gale Sayers or even a Terrell Davis, where you're just like, there was nobody better. Well, and you look at all the touchdown catches. How much do you think that meant to Brett Favre? He knew 84 needed the ball. Yeah. He knew exactly where the ball was going to go. Like, I mean, If you put his seven-year stats against any other receivers, any seven years they have, you can pick and choose. They line up like he's either beating them or they line up like with Rice, with Irvin. Like they're literally oh, like... Michael Irvin, yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's pretty ridiculous in this seven-year span what an absolutely dominant receiver he is and this is where we get into one of the bigger tragedies travesties excuse me is he is not in the hall of fame he's not in the hall. and i want to go over his stats right now yeah his, his all-time this stats, is a they're... seven year window for a wide receiver in the late 80s early 90s 595 catches 8134 yards 65 touchdowns in seven seasons and and i I have to reiterate this he literally had brett Favre for two seasons so like it's three three yeah Yeah. sorry but it's not like he so he had four seasons of like really mediocre quarterbacks and then brett comes in and you see him just taking off yeah what a nickel defense was when he first got to green bay like and they're like literally taking off yeah, it's sad to think that he doesn't have a Super Bowl. He's well, not he in does the... have a Super Bowl ring. Oh, he does? They, they did? Well, no. When the Broncos won their first of two, Shannon gave his first Super Bowl ring to his brother, yeah. his older brother, which is pretty amazing. Well, now I want to say the Shannon Sharp quote, which yeah. it's so it rings so true. When Shannon got inducted in the Hall of Fame, he was just like, I'm the only member of my family in the Hall of Fame, and I'm the second best player. Yeah, and that I feel like just rings so true because Shannon was a great, great player. But yeah, he had, he had John Elway chucking him the ball. He had Terrell Davis opening opening up the offense. An I can't offensive even, line putting Vaseline on their jerseys and cut blocking. <laughs> I can't even imagine. I didn't know the Barry Sanders thing. I can't even imagine oh God, what that would have been. But you look at Sterling Sharp, and it is really not right that he's not in the hall of fame and i think a lot of it has to do with after his career he was never in the limelight i mean he was on nfl primetime and did nfl live on espn for like maybe five years after he had uh, finished his career but he was just never a me guy no no he was never a, a huge like you know sponsorship guy that kind of thing and i feel like another thing that detracts from his from his getting in the Hall of Fame was he doesn't even watch football anymore. No. So he was talking about this. He said after he was done with the NFL Network, after he knew he was never going to coach, he like he'll watch like a couple of minutes of a Super Bowl, 
but he literally he he's into golf he's into his family he's into other stuff that doesn't have to do with football which, which is really cool if yeah. you think about it i mean he's living his best life yes and i'm sure he's grateful for the life football's provided him you know and just a great player should be in the hall of fame and you know on this podcast we talk about a lot of guys who are just kind of lost yeah who were amazing but just kind of lost to for whatever reason injury you know issues with substance abuse but it's it's sad that he's not in the hall of fame because he belongs there yep I mean, if you look at his statistics, and and this is my thing with, we were saying with the longevity, like seven years is a long time in the NFL. Exactly. And to be the best receiver, one, two receiver, just to have that triple crown. I know. It's it's crazy. Um, thank you all very much. Sports Experience Podcast, Sequin Comedy at on Instagram, Dominic Detola on Instagram. Detola Dominic. Detola Dominic, excuse <laughs> me. We always record right here at Angle Studio. Thank you all very much.